Hi, and welcome to the Lactation Training Lab podcast. I'm Christine, an IBCLC and lactation career coach. I help current and aspiring lactation care providers optimize their lactation practice and career through resources, information, and mindset shifts that help them to clarify and reclaim their purpose and mission in lactation work. I've been in the lactation field for 20 years now, and this podcast is my way of sharing with you what I've learned and what the future holds for those of us supporting families and babies. Whether you're seasoned or studying, I hope this show will make you think and inspire you to act. Let's get started. So today we're going to talk about a question that I got a few weeks ago. Really excited to talk to you about this particular question because it really brought to mind a lot of the things that I think about when I reflect on my transition from hospital work to community-based work. And the things that I think about when I see how misunderstood hospital-based lactation care providers can be and how much pressure can be put on lactation care providers who work in the hospital to do things which are really not reasonable, um, especially by their leadership and administration, but also by people in the community who have these grand visions of how things really should look, but they don't work there. How would they know? So I'll start by sharing with you the feedback and the question that I got. I was really excited to read this. I woke up on a Friday morning and this message was waiting for me on my phone. And it was pretty exciting. So I want to share this with you. And this is from Megan in Montreal. And she said, thank you so much for your podcast and your empathetic focus on caring for families and lactation support workers. This work can be very demoralizing and difficult, especially within larger medicalized systems that can often put infant feeding in a secondary focus, especially in the early days when they see any problems as easily fixed by giving formula. Your voice and perspective keep me inspired. I'd be interested to hear your suggestions for how to prioritize steps toward shifting this cultural mindset in a tertiary hospital setting with limited lactation resources. Which little steps could one lactation consultant make to have the biggest impact? Which issues should be prioritized? Thanks again. This one, this question speaks to me. So I have spent quite a bit of time really trying to lay out exactly what I want to share with you today. I didn't want to forget anything. I didn't want to miss anything. But sometimes I get so wrapped up in creating an outline and not forgetting anything that it takes me forever to get around to talking about it. So I'll tell you right now, I have an outline, but I might have to go off the cuff a little bit here as as I talk through this. When we think about the work that we have to do in the hospital, I think that the most common way that we picture how that work looks is we visualize the person leaning over someone's bed helping with latch. We visualize a person with a clipboard providing some teaching in a patient room. You know, we visualize maybe somebody Uh, instructing other staff members or sharing the workload uh, with a nurse who is really busy doing other tasks and, you know, working out how they're going to help this patient with their feeding needs. And all those, of course, are things that hospital-based lactation care providers absolutely have to do. But there can be a really big difference in what the rest of their day looks like and the rest of their overall work scheme looks like, depending on how they're seen, what their role is visualized as there. Sometimes people are hired to do lactation care work and they're 
quickly thrust into responsibilities and roles that go far beyond what they thought they were going to do. And sometimes people are hired, you know, as just a one person. Sometimes you they're got a lot of staff out there. You've got a lot of hospitals in the United States where there may be one, two, or three, um, or, you know, four, just four or five people who are doing this work. And it can get very burdensome when there's not a lot of other type of support for the work that you're doing. So especially when it comes time for things like people start talking about baby friendly designation or they start talking about meeting the requirements of the joint commission. Those are, I realize the joint commission, that's a very American topic, but if you're listening from another country, which I know there are a lot of you who do, and I really appreciate that. So hi out there. Uh, think of that as whatever organization or agency in your country accredits hospitals basically and allows them to work, basically licenses them to take care of people and possibly even be reimbursed. Um, I know everybody else has a different system of reimbursement for healthcare than we do here, but there are still ways that, you know, hospitals have to be licensed. So when administrations and leaderships start in hospitals start thinking about initiatives or just individual administrators or leaders in a hospital look around and say, huh, our breastfeeding rates aren't that great, are they? Or they look, you know, in the newspaper and they read about the hospital across town, which is just you know recently designated as baby friendly and they say wait a second we can't let that happen we have to make sure that we get that too those are really huge initiatives they don't realize that and then sometimes these things are coming from within they're coming from that one man lactation staff you know that that four person staff where they're looking around and saying why does it feel like we're really behind <laughs> It feels like we're operating 30 years in the past because the way that this is looked at here is just not consistent with what I'm reading about in the journals and what I'm hearing about from other lactation care providers online or at conferences. So when people start to really think about that, it can be very overwhelming to imagine how we are going to make big change. And then on top of that, you remember that these people, these one person staffs or these two person staffs are the ones leaning over the bed fixing the latch. They are the ones explaining things to nurses who haven't had any training in this, you know, and their, their job feels like it's taking over and taking on a scope that they may not have been prepared for. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel like a lot. And the last piece of that that I'll I'll say is that personality wise, some people like me are impatient by nature. And I'm the kind of person that is on, you know, December 5th, I'm counting down the days until Christmas and wondering how I'm going to survive waiting each day. And that's a big exaggeration, but that's actually how my brain works. Like I can't wait for the next exciting thing to happen. And I'm I'm so impatient about it. I have to have a lot of self-talk that reminds me we can do this one day at a time. You know, it's an exciting thing, but we have to do these other things first. When you're working on a big initiative, when you're trying to change something as big as the culture of how lactation is viewed in a hospital and how it's supported, that's another one of those big things. And unfortunately, there's usually not a landmark date 
or event that you can measure it out by, but we have to look at it in very small pieces. We have to really think about it as making very small incremental changes and small impact every day. I wanted to share a quick story with you that reminds me of this situation. When I was pregnant with my first baby, she was eight days late the last time that I was at work. When I reached my estimated due date, nothing was happening. And so of course I had assumed that I would stop working that day, but it turned out that nothing was happening and I would have gone home and been super bored. So I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna keep working if I can, it's no big deal, I had an office job. So I was still at work and I was eight days overdue and it was the last business day of the year. So it was so it was like December 29th and in my job it was an accounting based job so there was a lot of year end uh, paperwork that had to be completed and filed and there were these boxes of paperwork that had to be moved because it was the end of the year and no one else was around it was again very close to the end of the year, a lot of people were on vacation and I really wanted to get these boxes put away and they were far too heavy for me to pick up at 41 weeks pregnant. And I discovered that if I used my feet to just shift them a little bit, I could actually just sort of lean on them and I could slide them and they would go where they needed to go. So I did that and it took me a while, but I got those boxes where they needed to go by just kind of putting my leg against them and, and leaning, not even pushing because I didn't want to hurt myself, but just leaning a little bit. And so I took my time and I made it happen. And of course, um, on January 1st, my baby was born and I didn't have to go back to work until a whole six weeks later <laughs> on my unpaid maternity leave, which is what it was called. That story, I feel like really describes the same feeling that I had when I worked in the hospital and we were pursuing baby friendly designation. There was so much good that was already happening in the environment where I was working, but we did have a very small staff. So we had a lot of things going for us. We had a lot of things that we could do. We were supported in many ways by administration. We got the, some resources that we really needed to make the training happen. And we embarked on this process and it was surprisingly slow. It really felt in the beginning like this was something we could plan out you know, in a matter of months, a matter of years, and we would know what was happening. And ultimately, it took a lot longer than anyone imagined that it would. And I think that there's a lot of places right now that may be finding themselves in the same situation because of 2020 and the delays and the interruptions and stoppages that have happened over the last 15 months or so. It's been really difficult for anyone who's in a situation where they felt like they were making progress or things were really going well with the culture of lactation support in their workplace. And to, you know, look around today and, and think, where are we now compared to where we were? Even if you're in the exact same spot and nothing changed, nothing got worse, nothing got better, well, nothing got better. And you were really hoping to be much further along by now. There are things that the one person can do. There are things that the small staff can do. And I think it's important to remember that when you are that one person, that small team, um, or if you are one person on a 20 person team in a gigantic teaching hospital, you've got a giant lactation staff. It doesn't matter because whichever one of those you are, you are a resident expert on human lactation.
that's what you're there for that's your role and you can also be or you can become the resident expert who guides and encourages rather than doing it all or taking on all the tasks it feels big and it feels heavy to be in charge of those types of initiatives and those types of strategies to change the culture but it is possible we have to think about these small incremental changes and today i'm going to share with you some of those things that i think will help you feel like you're making some progress so i think the first thing that you should start with is to think about think about these things on your own before you make a plan and on your own or with your other team members if you have you know just a couple people on your team and you're really thinking about what you need to take to leadership to say here's what we would like to change here's what we would like to work on think about them on your own strategize this for a while so that you can go to them with a solution rather than a complaint that you go to them with ideas and ask to you know to be able to work on these things and ask for their support um, rather than just striking up that conversation whenever it might happen, be prepared. You know, you want to spend some time reflecting and figuring out what's really going on. So you, one of the questions you can ask yourself for this is look around and think to yourself, what if it were easy? What if it were all fixed and it looked exactly like what we wanted to look like? Start at the end instead of the beginning. Think about what you and your team would really like to see happening. What would be going on in terms of your own staff what would be happening in terms of the environment that your patients would be coming into and what they would uh, be experiencing while they're in your facility what kind of language and messaging would they be hearing from nursing staff versus what they're hearing from other types of people they encounter in the hospital environment what types of uh, questions would they be able to ask and get answered right away what would it look like for them once they've been discharged what type of program or you know kind of follow-up would be available think about what you would like that to look like and you'll start to identify where you really can see the biggest problem areas are have that vision as your goal um, because having a goal like, well, we want to be designated baby friendly. Okay, that's good. But what does that actually look like, especially in a place where that's never been the case? It's really important to imagine what that's going to look like and how that will be implemented in your own setting. And really think about the details of it rather than just the banner that says we're baby friendly. <laughs> and then the next part of it, I'd like you to think about this. This is something that I thought of when we were very early in that stage. And I found this to be true for the rest of the time that I worked in the hospital setting. I think that we look, we tend to look at the patient population as one big giant, um, you know, whole pie chart. And we think about how are we gonna get almost all the people on this pie chart to go from maybe I will breastfeed to I am breastfeeding exclusively. I think that we have to look at the realities of what our patient population actually does. And it helps if you have data on this, but if you don't have data, that's okay. Sometimes small teams in places where there's no strategies in place, there's no data collection in place yet. That's okay, that's one of your, your next steps. But you know the people, you are in those rooms, you are talking to the people, that you're talking to the patients, you know what's going on. So think about this. 
do you really think that every single person that is admitted to your hospital and gives birth to a baby has the potential or the desire to exclusively breastfeed while they're there? That's unrealistic. We know that that's not the case. And so we can always look at that situation and know there's a certain percentage of people who are coming in to be admitted and they have already decided, I am not breastfeeding. It's not happening. And they will say that when they are asked, if they're asked during their admission process, how do you plan on feeding your baby? They're going to say, I am going to formula feed. And that's that's what they've decided. So that's what you write down. And they're not movable. You know, that that's not a situation where that's something that anyone's going to change with information or education or anything. There's going to always be a portion of your population that is not going to breastfeed. It's not happening. There is also another segment of your patient population, which is going to exclusively breastfeed no matter what happens. They are going to make it work. They are going to find a way and they are probably not going to ask for that much help along the way. They may just be very experienced. They may have outside help. They may just be the kind of people who um, don't ask for help and don't expect help. So you're gonna have these two sets of, of the population on sort of either end of, of the population if you lay it out on a timeline. And then I want you to think about it as a bell curve. So if you've got people who are definitely not going to, and then people who are definitely going to on either end, in the middle, there's a giant bell curve of people who say things, this is how they declare their feeding intentions. I want to try breastfeeding. I'm willing to try. I'd like to do it. If I'm lucky and it works, I'll do it. I think I want to. These are people who have some doubt. They have some fear. They have some things that are missing from what they know about how it works. So this is actually your influenceable population. Most of the people in your population are probably going to fall in there. So I really want you to think about that. Is that the case where you are? Is that the case with your population? Whether you know your hospital is having 100 births a month or 800 births a month, do you feel like most of the people, the vast majority, are within that portion of the population that probably can be influenced by what happens in terms of lactation support while they're there. That may help to provide a better realistic look at what you're what you're looking at. So if you have 100 and say you've got your 10% not going to and 10% absolutely going to, well, then instead of thinking, well, now we have 80 people that, you know, it's going to be, or 100 people, it's going to be so hard to do this. That's not necessarily true. You have the 80 people. You want to focus on the people who really actually need the help and have already expressed that there is a gap somewhere, something that can be influenced, something that can possibly be shifted for them. So that's another way of looking at what your your target population really is. It's still a big number. It's still going to be a lot of people, but you can think about the needs that they have because you know where those gaps are. Those gaps are in the information that they have. They're in the amount of support they have. They're in you know, their belief that it works, their, their trust in how it works. So that gives you a little bit more of a realistic look. So before we move on, I do wanna take a moment to talk about where some places really get stuck. This can happen with hospital leadership. 
This can happen with hospital staff outside the lactation care providers, and it can happen even within the lactation team. This is a place where a lot of places and people get stuck. Affecting change in breastfeeding rates or the culture of lactation around you, it's not about how big your lactation staff is or how much lactation coverage you're able to provide to the patients. Here's why. Even if you have full 24-7 coverage from the best lactation staff in the whole entire world, it only can take one instance of someone else on the rest of the staff going into that patient's room, planting a seed of doubt, and lead them to change their feeding routine, take them completely off track of where they were. I've seen this happen thousands of times. An amazing IBCLC spends hours working with a patient, getting the latch adjusted, hand expressing, spoon feeding, educating, and then along comes one person who doesn't trust that breastfeeding is going to be enough. And before you know it, the patient is on a different track. Hospitals and their staff would be much better served by holding everyone accountable to protect breastfeeding and to ensure that lactation staff work is being appropriately supported. This doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean the hospitals don't need lactation staff, they shouldn't expand their lactation staff, or that they shouldn't consider providing more coverage so that their patients get better care. I definitely believe those things are important. I'm simply reminding everyone involved here not to use that as a crutch or an excuse. Oh, well, when we have more money to hire more staff, then we'll work on breastfeeding. Or we can't have better breastfeeding rates because we don't have lactation staff at night. No, tie those excuses to a balloon and let them fly away because they will only hold you back. This is possible even if there is one lactation person, even if there are four when you actually need nine, it is possible to make changes. Here's how. One of the first things you can begin with when you're dreaming up how you're getting to your ultimate vision of what you want that culture to be, you need to look around and identify the influencers. This is about changing people's mindsets, changing people's attitudes, and motivating people to do things in a different way than they're used to doing them. So when you start to talk about the strategies and the actual implementation of here's what we're going to do differently, you've got to have support from other people, and you need to start with the people who have the most influence. So this could be the the couple of most experienced nurses on the staff who everybody looks up to. This could be, you know, people who are brand new out of nursing school within the past couple years. So they're looked at as having really modern ideas that have worked in the past. Maybe they have a history of making change with things that they bring in and yeah, people are like at first, I don't know if we should do that, but then it always turns out that they were right. These are going to be people who everybody else listens to, everybody else looks up to. If you bring new ideas and new strategies to implement to the whole entire group at once, the grumblers are going to grumble as they are wont to do, and that influences the rest of the population. So we really want to work on identifying who will be the support squad for these new changes that might be happening. And this could be a formal thing or it could be a totally informal thing. So really just look around and figure out 
who matters to everyone else. It doesn't have to be a person with a title or their own office <laughs> or even a nursing degree. This is a person that other people listen to. So know who those people are and make sure that they are part of your work from the beginning at influencing and implementing changes. The issues that we want to focus on as we try to make changes, we want to think about the things that we know work and the things that matter. Because if the goal is to create an environment that's much more supportive of breastfeeding and chest feeding and lactation than it already is, there's a couple of ways we can do that. So when we prioritize hand expression, when we prioritize parents being taught to recognize and respond to feeding cues, when we make sure that everyone who takes care of newborns has a great working knowledge of how to care for and what to expect from late preterm infants, when we have an environment where skin to skin is not only something that's nice to do in the room where the baby is born, but it's something that's encouraged all the time, especially if there's a feeding problem, skin to skin is going to be an answer. And pacifier use, reducing pacifier use. So create an initiative based on some of these things that we know work to do that. We know these things work. They are part of the 10 steps to exclusive breastfeeding through baby friendly because they work. And in case you are not aware of this, there is not only evidence in, um, in the journals that talk about how breastfeeding rates are changed by the entire uh, baby friendly process but there is also evidence that implementing even one or two or three of the steps makes a change in breastfeeding rates. So even if your first goal is to get one thing changed, one thing matters. One thing can change your breastfeeding rates. So this, this isn't a moonshot. Like this isn't something you're just making up. This really works and there's a lot of evidence for it. So create your initiative based around things that really can work. Make the goal something like, let's reduce our formula usage. We're not going to cut it out completely. We know that, remember, because we've got 10% of people who are not going to breastfeed. So we know we have to have formula. It's going to be there. We're going to spend money on it. We've got to have it. But we don't need to use as much. We don't need to give out as much. Or we can say our, our goal is to make sure that when uh, our patients are using it, that they're using an appropriate volume for the age of their babies. We're not leaving two-ounce bottles at the bedside and watching parents feed the whole two ounces at one feeding. Um, or maybe our initiative is about um, ending pacifier use or reducing pacifier use or eliminating unnecessary pacifiers being introduced by other staff. We had that situation um, in some of the settings where I worked where pacifiers were being introduced by people who weren't there for um, reasons having to do with the care of the baby. They were there for hearing tests and they were there for, you know, things that are necessary it doesn't make sense for somebody who's not trained in that to be introducing a pacifier for these kind of situations. There are other solutions. So maybe that's part of your, your small first initiative. You could use an initiative like um, doing procedures skin to skin. So whether that's delivery room procedures, um, whether that's when babies need lab draws or they're having their, their heel prick to get genetic testing, maybe they're skin to skin then. You could also try um, initiative that would be that every 
one has to teach spoon feeding to one of, at least one of their patients every shift. Get nurses experienced with teaching spoon feeding or encouraging spoon feeding or educating about spoon feeding more and more and more. So the initiative doesn't necessarily have to be that, you know, when we start out with an initiative like every baby who isn't feeding at the chest or breast is going to be spoon feeding instead of bottle feeding. Well, that's nice, but it's a not necessarily a realistic or a small achievable goal. Let's start with a smaller one that we maybe can do, like everyone teaching about spoon feeding, everybody making sure that they're introducing this and implementing this more than they were before. Maybe uh, we're going to do chart checks to make sure that every NICU admit their parent is taught to hand express on day one of the baby's life. So maybe that can be our initiative to make sure that that's happening. And then once we've achieved that, then we can move on to the next thing. Maybe the initiative would be delaying baths. Delaying baths is another one that tends to get forgotten, but it can be a huge game changer when we're looking at a population of babies where it seems like the problem always tends to be that these sleepy babies or babies who aren't feeding very much, they're the ones who end up having to need formula or they're really struggling with feeding later on. And if we simply delayed the bath until they were breastfeeding more, um, we could really change their outcomes. So looking for those smaller pieces rather than the big giant outcome of every baby is going to be feeding this particular way, but changing this environment by changing one step, changing one piece of it, and using initiatives that involve everyone. Every person has to do this. Everyone has to be involved in this. And these things can really take just little steps. This can be about creating simple posters or finding some online and having them printed posters for the rooms that show parents what feeding cues look like that they can use to have that information right there in front of them literally because what happens when we educate using things on the wall is that it the education rubs off on everyone so everyone who goes in that room is now seeing that so that's you know in normal times any visitors that are coming to visit them that's all the rest of the staff some of whom might not have bought into the concept of feeding cues yet you've got to get these things in front of them more and more and more and little posters in the rooms poster in the lobby posters all around posters in the restroom restroom education it's my favorite of mine <laughs> but people read things when they're in there so when we put that up and we make it available to people to read and see and we expose them to it over and over that starts to really sink in you're going to find your early adopters and leverage what they can do find those influencers find those important people that can influence other people on the staff if there are other people on the staff who themselves are new parents or new grandparents make sure that you are holding and hosting and initiating conversations with them about the whole process of what kind of information they or their their own child was exposed to during pregnancy, what type of lactation support they received in your facility or in a different one, what kinds of issues or problems are they facing, if they're facing any, on their lactation journey. 
keep those conversations flowing because that is a really hot topic for them in their life. So then they can learn more and feel supported and know that you are a safe person to talk to about this. And when they're working with patients and they have questions or they have things that they want to work through, then you're the person that they're going to remember you're able to talk to them about it. Think about, you know, making sure that you are accessible and available to people. And this can be exhausting. And of course, this can be hard, but remembering to be accessible to everyone as much as you can when you are present in the hospital, really be present. If you are not actively helping patients, if you are, you know, waiting for a patient to be ready, if you are on your lunch break in the break room, being accessible and socializing with the people that you need to influence around this whole culture change, it makes a difference. And sometimes that's hard if you already feel like, well, nobody, you know, nobody likes me or nobody really listens to me or we know that those tend to be not always completely 100% true, but they are things that we tell ourselves. They say, nobody wants to talk to me because I'm not a nurse, or nobody wants to talk to me because it always feels like it's a fight about breastfeeding. Well, the thing is, whether we like it or not, we as lactation care providers, we equal breastfeeding in those people's minds. So whether they like it, are resenting it, are pushing back against it, are standing underneath it and supporting it as much as they can, that reflects on us. That is how they feel about us. So you really want to do the work that you can do to connect with people about all the ways that you support lactation. If you have a belief that you know could help sort of ease the path, if, if you know that the way that you feel about formula is a lot softer than people think that you do, be more vocal about that. Talk about how you believe and you really do support that people should have accessibility and they should have really good quality formula that they can afford and that should be accessible to them. Talk about those opinions and those sort of statements and, and beliefs that you hold about infant feeding that might surprise them. Don't keep those things to yourself because those are the actual things that are going to connect you with people more and make you into that resident expert that they really actually need. Because a lot of times when people are pushing back against initiatives that are meant to change the culture of feeding, it's because they don't have enough information and they're scared about that. They're not used to not having enough information about it. And if they find that you're a person that they can trust and that they can talk to and that you're not shaking your head at them like they imagined you would because they don't know something, well, then they'll trust you and then they can come to you and they can ask you for that help that they need and they know that they can work alongside you instead of against you in those ways. And think about those little things that we always tend to do around World Breastfeeding Week, National Breastfeeding Month here in the United States. They, they kind of seem a little silly sometimes. We make cupcakes and we buy pins that everybody can wear or maybe the hospital springs for badge holders that have some positive messaging about breastfeeding. Those little things that can really change a culture. You know, just knowing that those things are around. Having more things that have positive messaging. Engaging people in these conversations and 
you know, reminding them why they're wearing that badge holder or why that was the badge holder that was picked even can make a difference to people in understanding why it sometimes feels to them like they're being forced to do something. And then one more sort of complicated one, but I think this gets missed a lot when you have a small or a one person lactation staff, it can get skipped and without it, it can be harder to manage the connect that connection and that working together or collaboration feel that you have when you implement this and the the skill or the technique here is lactation triage it's easy to imagine when you work in a large staff you have to have a triage system because if you have a large staff it's probably because you have a lot of patients so you have to have probably a formalized way of triaging the patients and determining who's seeing who and how often they're getting seen and all those things but when your lactation staff springs out of organically out of nowhere or it's one person you might think to yourself, why do I need this? Nobody's looking at it, it's just for me. I'm the only person that sees I'm writing Acuity One on this. But if you use it correctly, a lactation triage system can really help you begin to have different conversations with nursing staff about why certain cases are gonna need your priority and focus. It gives you opportunities to teach and support them rather than just appearing as some people will say that you do to pick and choose or favor certain patients. It also can give you data on how you're spending your time and you can make better suggestions. If say leadership comes to you and says, we think we can hire another person, you know, are they gonna do the same thing as you? Or you can say, no, you know, really help. We really need somebody to focus on the parents of NICU babies, you know, or we really need somebody that can focus on helping our patients on the weekends. You can look at those things and you can determine where are you spending most of your time. If you're looking at your, your triage system and you're thinking, we have way more high acuity lactation patients than we thought we did, that is something that you can bring to them and say, listen, we are seeing a lot of late preterm babies. And that means that I have to spend a lot of my time with those families and other families are not getting, are not always getting the care that they need. So maybe we can shift things around a little bit, or maybe we can you know, make sure that this other thing is happening. So we really have to have that kind of data that really helps you in so many ways. And it definitely helps you again with the connection with the nursing staff and explaining to them how you are figuring out where you need to be on a minute by minute basis and why sometimes it seems like you have to spend more time with certain patients. It really makes a difference to explaining to them the things that cause patients to be high acuity. What happens that creates that situation that pushes them up the priority list? So those are some things that I think are doable and very reasonable for a lot of people in this situation where they have a one person, a very small staff, and they really would like to start making change that they can see. I also have a couple of if possibles that, you know, you might tack on to this if it's possible for you to do this. And maybe if you have a few people, it's more possible or just depending on the situation. But one of those is to partner with local community-based lactation to get stories from actual patients about their experiences in your facility. 
share those where you can in appropriate ways with administration and leadership so that you can drive this change from the customer service angle. You know, they're sending out customer satisfaction or patient satisfaction surveys, and they're asking these questions. And we know that people don't always give, you know, useful information and feedback on those types of surveys. So sometimes those are a mixed bag. But you can sometimes get some more honest or more useful information and feedback when you're getting stories from patients who are now discharged out into the community and they're showing up at breastfeeding support groups or they're showing up at parenting groups where they're talking about how they felt supported or didn't feel supported in your facility, um, how you know they felt like they needed more and they called back but they didn't reach anybody, there's no number to call, nobody seemed to know what, what they could do about it. Those stories should be influential when it comes to talking to leadership about why you need to make the changes that you need to make. Another thing that you can do is to ask, find out if they're making post-discharge follow-up phone calls from the postpartum unit and whether the questions on there are asking anything that has to do with feeding and use the results and outcomes of those calls to demonstrate need. Like perhaps the people who are making those calls are constantly writing down that people are complaining that they have engorgement going on when they go home. And the people making the calls are giving them maybe some basic information, but they'd really like something deeper. They'd really like somewhere they can refer them. They'd really like to have a little list of, hey, these are red flags. Like, this is a big problem. It's not only that the breasts are engorged, there's something else going on here. So that's another place where you can make a little bit of a change, but kind of make a big difference for the patients, especially. And one more. If necessary, get your job description clarified. Advocate for people and hospital staff to utilize you in your proper role. Ask the question. You might not be able to ask this out loud at first, but ask yourself, you know, right, right now, do they think you are there to latch babies, to go up and down the hall and just latch all the babies. And when you don't do that or when a baby can't latch or whatever happens that is taking the family off their feeding track, somehow it's because you didn't help them or you didn't have time or we don't have lactation staff at night. Or are you there to consult about feeding? That is a really, really, really big difference. What they expect you to do and what you are actually capable of doing, there can be a giant river in between those. So you wanna make sure that what they expect you to do and what you actually can do if utilized properly is really you know, understood and that you can start making change to be the consultant that you are really there to be. It is not only the job of people who work on the lactation staff to go around and latch babies that are having trouble latching. It is also the job of nurses who are taking care of those, those patients. So because it's not the sole responsibility of this one part of the staff, that's where it starts to become the excuse and the crutch of, well, we don't have enough lactation help. We can't change anything. We can't, we can't, we can't. But when we start looking at 
what our lactation staff is actually there to do, then we start to realize, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so here's what we need to be doing. Here's what they need to be doing. Here's how their triage system that they invented or that they looked up and, and used from a textbook here's how that can change how we're looking at these situations oh and here's why they keep saying we need more help <laughs> so sometimes it sort of circles back on itself they use it as a crutch but you can actually use it as a way to demonstrate what is actually needed to provide better care for the patients so i hope that wasn't too um random and i feel like i i strayed a little bit sometimes i hope it was clear i hope it was helpful it was really just trying to reflect on the types of small changes that make big differences in how a nursing staff, a hospital culture can look at infant feeding. Instead of, as the original question, the person who asked the question was talking about, thinking of the solution to every feeding problem is just get a bottle of formula out of the cabinet, but knowing that there are always, always, always many steps in between this baby isn't latching and get a bottle of formula. There are so many steps and there are so many factors that influence that process along the way. You can change all of those little steps. You really can, especially if you make the right connections with the people who can make those changes from the beginning. And I don't mean sitting down with the leadership of the hospital and making sure you get resources to become baby friendly designated, although that can be part of your process. This can be about simply finding the nurses on the postpartum staff who really stand with you in believing and understanding that some changes need to be made and that you can start small and that as a lactation care provider, even if you may not be part of the rest of their postpartum staff in the way that they think that you should be, that you are on their team, you're not trying to make their job harder, you're trying to make the environment better for your mutual patients, and that you're there to help them along the way, so it doesn't feel like everyone's just giving them more jobs, because that's often how hospital staff feel, it's just constantly, you have to fill out these papers, and now you have to do this extra education, you have to do all these extra things. You are there to support them as much as you are there to support the patients. I will talk more about that in another podcast. That's another episode that'll be coming up. I truly hope you have enjoyed this one, and I hope that I've inspired you to do something that you feel like you can achieve so that you feel like you're making your mark beyond going in the rooms and latching the babies because we all know we have those days when you go in eight rooms and none of the babies latch and you're like wait a minute what is my job anymore so please take what helps take what inspires leave the rest share if you can i look forward to being here with you again and i truly truly appreciate you for listening and for all the work that you're doing out there for families all around the world have a wonderful day take care for now